alien spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. Hello and welcome to the 34th annual Subliminal Deception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody. I'm joined by my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Uh, not doing too bad, actually. Uh, you know what time of, time of the year it is here. We had our first snowfall on Tuesday of this week, and <laughs> so I was driving my sister and Jeff to the airport because they're going to Texas, and usually it's about a five to ten minute drive from my house. That morning, it was uh, 35 minutes to get to the airport because of the <laughs> fucking traffic. Then I saw three accidents, so yeah, it's that time of year in Minnesota. How's, uh, how's the weather in Phoenix treating you? pretty good uh it was a pretty warm day out today i think i passed by a bank yesterday that said it was 86 degrees so okay that was at about five o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> so the mornings are cold but the afternoons are still good well, sit out on the patio and drink uh beer weather so <laughs> well that's what i told uh shana you know they're just heading down to texas unlike the coldest week of the year so far so they're making out pretty well i'd say yeah then they have uh, the rest of the winter to look forward to when they get back, though. So. <laughs> yeah, they can they can get depressed when they return home. But uh, I hear that you had a little adventure last night. Yeah, so uh, it was actually quite a fun little celebration. We had my nephew's 21st birthday. So we all uh, went out to a local brewery and had some food and drinks. It was actually my nephew's first alcoholic drink of his entire life. Okay, was he just telling you that so you didn't think he drank underage, or do you genuinely believe that was his first one ever? I genuinely believe that was his first one ever. I am 99.98% sure <laughs> it was his first one ever, Com- considering like how much of that drink he actually consumed. Like, okay. I'm pretty sure. So uh, his What's that? <laughs> I was going to say, so if you went to a brewery, obviously you're not going to start him off with like a Three Kings or something. Well, what I was trying to start him off on was Jack and Coke because it's family tradition. <laughs> but uh, actually, they kind of talked him into since his favorite soda is Dr. Pepper. They talked him into a Dr. Pepper and rum, which I okay. think would be a little too sweet for me. But um, he took a sip and then he kind of like everyone took pictures while he took a sip. It was pretty funny. I was thinking back to my 21st, which uh, the Lumberyard 2 in Cedar Rapids, the strip club down there, <laughs> and how much alcohol I drank that night. Were you, night. were you like blackout level or like what, just, just drunk or like, what was your condition? Um, way too drunk to drive, but sober enough to remember everything. Okay. Getting, getting beat up by that stripper on stage was pretty fun. <laughs> um, she, uh, yeah, she ripped my fucking boxers off with her teeth. That was a little odd experience there in front of Damn, everyone. Okay. All right. <laughs> but, uh, what did you do on your 21st? Um, actually my 21st was that time period where I was, uh, I didn't drink for like four years. So that was right in, in, uh, right when I turned 21, I just didn't do anything because I wasn't drinking at the time because I had oh, a little yeah. bit, I had a little bit too much fun prior to that. And I was like, okay, this is getting out of control. So I ended up just being a sober boy for my 21st birthday. So it's pretty uneventful, actually. That is true. Yeah, I was thinking uh, my nephew, if I ever needed like part of a liver donated to me, like he would be a perfect match. Like <laughs> he's in my bloodline and I bet his liver is like the exact color that a human liver should be. Yeah. And not like a Dr. Seuss character, like mine, I imagine looks like <laughs> all fucking brown and spotted like little black blotches and shit. Well, you know, the liver does self-repair over time, Phil. Well, you got to let it self-repair first. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not a damn closet alcoholic, are you? No, but I've had, uh, I've had my share of nights. 
So. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think I'd be more, in our cases, maybe more concerned about the lungs. Like, maybe we need to find a healthy pair of lungs somewhere. Yeah. Well, in the future, I imagine we're all going to have clones that we just kind of, like, drag around with us. Like a comedian. There's a really good bit a comedian was doing about that. (laughs) So, like the movie The Island, we're going to just have clones (laughs) just waiting for us to reap their organs. Uh, do you, do you, would you feel bad about that? Is that unethical to do that? Uh, yeah. If they were awake, like the thing about the Island is all of the people who like bought the clones thought that the clones would be like basically in a coma and then just waiting for you to take the organs. Right. But it didn't work out like that. So I feel like they need a, I don't know if it's even possible, but like clone organs and just grow the organs and not like. The person attached to them. I bet that's coming pretty quick. I mean, I've heard of them like 3D printing shit, so. I seen a while ago they had like a, it was an artificial heart, but it was basically made of like, kind of like plastic and stuff. Um, I don't really know if that's possible, but that'd be the way to go. Yeah, a bionic heart. That'd be pretty sweet. Fuck yeah, you'd never fucking die then. Your uh, yearly physical would have to include an oil change. <laughs> I was just thinking, of course, like the first prototypes of the heart would be just like indestructible. And then those companies would realize they can't make enough money unless they fail enough. And then you start running into the problem we have now with cars and fucking appliances and fucking everything that just starts failing for no reason. There would be commercials where basically there's a guy telling you to go trade in your heart for a brand new 20 fucking 35 model, <laughs> like trying to sell you on the warranty. Like, what the fuck? This thing's only got 80,000 beats in it. Yeah, it's the 80,000 beat warranty. <laughs> it's like it's like barely used. It still has like blood dripping out the side of it. Barely used, lightly refurbished, ready to go. We, we got to clearance our old models out to get <laughs> make way for the new 2020 models. The dealer swears to God that it was used by a couch potato who, like, never ran on a treadmill once. <laughs> I feel like that'd make it worse. Um, on a less beats, I would say it would make it better. Yeah, but the, the couch potato's heart might be clogged up with plaque already. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but I guess that brings into the question of how what the uh, vessels and arteries and all that shit are made out of all the valves. What are they made out of? But uh, I don't know. Brings up a good question. Yeah. Someone, if you know how they are making artificial hearts or or, or other organs, you should uh, email us and let us know. So because I'm genuinely curious at this point. It would be great to um, go there and haggle with the. dealers as your like heart is failing you they're like oh seems like time's running out for you (laughs) you you may want to make this deal quick (laughs) you're sweating an awful lot and for some reason your right arm is completely dead sir so i can see (laughs) you need this new model and quick we get financing (laughs) available we'll take care of everything don't you worry you're not gonna die on us but anyway phil with that out of the way why don't I'll let you take the reins and uh, take us into this week's conspiracy. All right. So uh, obviously we're well past the uh, Halloween episodes. And I wanted to get into a little conspiracy that I had a discussion with some of my coworkers um, over the past week. What do you know about supernatural events that occurred during World War One? I? Uh, pretty much nothing, to be honest with you. Never. Uh, this will be a new one for me. Yeah, uh, it's pretty interesting, actually. So first off, I'm going to tell you guys about the story of the company that went missing during World War One. And by company, I obviously mean like an army company. Oh, uh, I was going to say, how the hell did a whole business just go <laughs> missing and nobody seemed to notice? Yeah, I should uh, change that up. Uh, nah, nah, it's good. I love that. An army troop or something. I think that's uh, what must what must have uh, happened to Circuit City because they seem to have went missing and nobody's seen them in many years now. That is true. All <laughs> those blockbusters too. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they all disappeared during the uh, Netflix wars or some shit. <laughs> that's what we need. We need like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime to start forming militias, and they got to start 
fighting, you know, wars over like global dominance. That's what we need. We need that back again. That honestly is like the only form of monopoly that I would approve of. It's only <laughs> having to pay one bill a month for all of that shit. That'd be fucking awesome. True, true. You got to get fucking HBO on board with that too. Get them absorbed. You know what they need too? Okay, they all morph into one, but then they start storming the like film studios that control the movies that are allowed to be put on there. Just keep storming those buildings and like take over the licensing to all the good movies. Yeah, but then Adam Sandler would be in every single one of them. <laughs> I said good movies, Phil. <laughs> so the Battle of Gallipoli was a bloody, ill-fated campaign fought by the French and British along with Australians and New Zealanders fighting against the Ottoman Turks for control of the sea routes from Russia to Europe during 1915, which was finally abandoned after extremely heavy losses in January of 1916. Hmm. So joining the fight during the Gallipoli campaign was the Sandringham Company, which was made up of gamekeepers, gardeners, farmhands, and household servants from the royal estates of Sandringham, created by Edward VII before the war had even begun. This doesn't sound like your ideal soldiers, Phil. No, it does not. Like uh, I don't know where he got the idea for this, but like, is the are the gardeners just there to plant radishes? on the way to the battlefield or what? Like, what are, they, what are they doing? Yeah, my idea of, like, maybe the games keepers might be good at this, but everyone else, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about their fighting prowess. <laughs> I just imagine, like, old, heavy-set, house, like, household maids and shit carrying guns in battle. <laughs> just, I, don't, I don't think it'd be work out very well. Just men with uh, jean overalls on marching into battle with their spades and pitchforks? <laughs> yeah so the company was marching towards hill 60 at Sulva bay in turkey on august 21st 1915 uh now three new zealand soldiers said that they saw several hundred british soldiers marching towards the top of a hill and at the top of the hill was a large solid looking cloud that was about 800 feet long 220 feet high and 200 feet wide Okay, bit ominous. Yeah, it's a bit ominous, marching into this at the top of the hill. I was kind of hoping you were going to say it was like the sun from Super Mario Brothers 3, where he just swirls down and he takes them all out. He's just angrily bouncing around yeah. and just trying to kill the soldiers. Leave us alone, yeah. son, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> there was a character in there, the little Koopa in the clouds. You oh, to, yeah. Uh, uh, what the hell is his name? Something with an L, to, I think. He used to toss, like, little fucking spiky dudes out at you yeah. and shit. Yeah, he was a dick. Yeah. So according to the report, which was made in uh, April of 1965, the company was advancing into a forest directly into the cigar-shaped mist or cloud and never emerged from that cloud. Okay. Uh, I'm guessing the forest must have been on top of the hill. So. It, yeah, I'd assume so. Okay, cigar-shaped cloud? Yeah, so like I said, 800 feet long, 220 feet high, 200 feet wide. So it'd have been cigar-shaped. Okay, oh, I thought you were trying to hint at something else. Something that we talk about a lot on here. Yeah, no, it is hinting towards that. Okay, so. alright. Now the cloud is said to have rose above the ground about an hour later and joined other similar cloud masses and then drifted away northwards with the other clouds, kind of almost like they were being piloted. The soldiers claimed that the British tried to get the soldiers back after the Ottoman Empire had surrendered, but the Turks claimed that they had uh, no knowledge of the regiment or their whereabouts. Okay, all right. So they saw the cloud and then they kind of just disappeared. Yeah, so apparently this um, the regiment marched into the cloud disappeared and then about an hour later the cloud rose up so no one had seen or heard from them after they marched into the cloud could this be like a portable what'd you say it was lumber two strip club the lumber yard two the lumber strip yard is a mobile lumber yard two strip club they all could went in be. there and they just like fuck it they the strippers are ripping their boxers off like why would we ever go home now <laughs> whipping them with their own belts. <laughs> yep, there you go. <laughs> yep. 
So uh, one of the witnesses, <laughs> uh, Sir Ian Hamilton, reported that the company had charged into the forest and were lost to sight and sound. There are some other accounts uh, from survivors uh, from that battlefield. One of them said, I did not see any wood into which uh, officers and men could have disappeared. And that was said by a soldier named Sidney Pooley. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. He said, I know absolutely nothing about how the officers and men disappeared. I heard no news about them charging into the wood until I came home. Okay. So how m- uh, I don't know if you gave a number estimate of how many people marched into it. Uh, so estimates, there said there's about 300 people, 300 soldiers and officers. Damn, that is a lot of people to just kind of like up and vanish. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's kind of weird. I mean, obviously, if they charged into a cloud, my first thought when I heard this story is I'm going to get into the um, kind of the how this might not be all that true or possibly exaggerated. My first thought is if they were charging into some trees on top of a hill and there was a cloud there, obviously they could have disappeared like past the cloud or, you know, marched past the cloud, which it's kind of weird that they just assume they disappeared instead of got mowed down by machine gun fire or something like that. Well, I, I figure like, even if they, let's say they went through the cloud and got lost or whatever, like, wouldn't they have the names of the people in the unit and be like, where are these people? Yeah, I'm not really sure about that. Like, if they had, if anyone had searched for them or tried to figure out where this entire regiment of people was. Well, you know, somebody was looking for their gardener. I mean, your gardener can't just go missing. They're going to be like, where the fuck is Bill? My dandelions are dead as hell. Where the hell is Bill? Where the fuck is the chef? We're supposed to have chili tonight. God <laughs> damn it. Wait, are you trying to say Ramsey was in that, in that platoon? Uh, well... They were British soldiers, so. <laughs> they say maybe Could've it was been. like, maybe at the time, Chef Ramsay was the cook for the Lumberyard 2, and he <laughs> lured him on there with the promise of strip steak and strippers, and they yeah. just never returned. They got those buffets there. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there has been some research done uh, by the Reverend Pierpont Edwards. Okay. At the site of the disappearance, uh, and a mass grave has been found with evidence that the men had all been taken out by enemy fire. And there are rumors uh, that privately, in small groups of people he knew, Reverend Edwards claimed that the men had been shot in the head execution style, and that the men had probably gotten too far behind enemy lines and may have been rounded up by the Turks and executed. Okay, so I mean, I guess that would kind of you know, be a reason for their disappearance if they executed them all and then just buried them in a big hole or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was listening to Dan Carlin. He just came out with uh, episode three of Supernova in the East, and he was talking about how one of the scariest things is to be, like, deep behind enemy lines, having the enemy basically surrounding you. You could easily get picked off that way. So this was, like, right around the time that... Germany had surrendered, correct? No, this was 1915. So this was relatively early in the war. Okay. Okay. I thought I thought you were saying like they were still fighting but the whatever was the armistice had been signed or whatever. But it's Oh no, just the starting. armistice wouldn't be signed until uh November 1918. Okay. All right. Yeah, we're actually coming up on Veterans Day in a couple days here. Right. Yeah, the um, upcoming Monday. Yep. So the story of the disappearing soldiers into the cloud uh, may have just been a nice story to tell the families back home uh, as the entire company of men came from this small estate area. And I think you can imagine like hundreds of men all from the same little area just not coming home and everyone kind of wondering like what happened to everyone. I feel like there are no survivors. I feel like if that was me, I'd rather hear that they died in battle and not they just disappeared into a cigar-shaped cloud. Yeah, that's kind (laughs) of, I mean, it's kind of true. It is a little, maybe back then it would have been nicer to hear because the news coming out of the battle was really bad. It was very ill-planned. The Allies were just getting destroyed in Turkey. I suppose that makes sense. One quick note here before, what I was thinking was, okay, so we've probably talked about it before, like, 
people's UFO sightings, how they're describing the ships have always changed depending on the era. So, like, obviously now we see flying metallic discs. You know, in biblical times, they were like chariots flying in the sky. So I was like, when you were saying that story, I was like, could it be that people way back in this time or this particular group of people, like, they didn't know what a flying object was, so they assumed it was a cloud. Do you know, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I was imagining, too, if it was like a UFO, a lot of alien, you know, UFO kind of researchers claim that the beings inside the UFO can make the UFO look like anything they want. Sometimes it looks cigar shaped. Sometimes it looks like a flying saucer. Maybe they made it look like a large, dense cloud. I mean, that could have been too. I mean, that'd be like the ultimate camouflage, really. If you're just pretending to be a cloud. (laughs) On a a damp battlefield. Yeah, that would be perfect. Yeah. But you're pretty certain that they were just executed and their bodies were hidden. I mean, obviously, if you go with, you know, the most plausible thing it's gonna be them getting either captured or gunned down or you know executed well i'm gonna just say this now that in my mind it's either that or it was the the lumberyard two picked them all up (laughs) so it's a 50 50 for me on either of those yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna say uh i'm gonna say they were probably gunned down but it is interesting i mean very kind of there's a there's a few different accounts of this so well, people seeing it, but fellow soldiers. Uh, so my next one actually goes into France. Have you ever heard of the Battle of the Mons? Uh, I might have heard it on Hardcore History. It sounds kind of familiar. So this mystery or supernatural event is called uh, the Angels of the Mons. Okay, but it's not like the Anaheim Angels. <laughs> is that the team? Yeah, no, is it the Los the Angeles Angels? I can't remember. No, I, I think I think they're a little different than the Los Angeles Angels. <laughs> it's just like a bunch of baseball players out there. Is that what was going on here? Yep, just fucking swinging their bats against the Nazis. <laughs> so the Battle of the Mons began on August 23rd when the British Expeditionary Forces fought against the Germans. Now the British Army attempted to hold the line of the Mons Condé Canal against the advancing German First Army during the much larger Battle of the Frontiers, which was all along the uh, the Western Front. Okay. So the Battle of the Mons ended when the French were forced to withdraw against the superior German troops. And I think we talked about this before, how the French were the ones who at the beginning of the war were wearing like the brightly colored pantaloons and... <laughs> <laughs> They were not prepared for this war. About whatsoever. about the least tactical military garbs that you could imagine. That's what they're wearing in there. Yeah, cavalry charges into machine gun fire and whatnot. They probably had uh, like uh, two day old crepes as like shoulder pads for protection. Yeah, their military rations were just <laughs> fucking bottle of wine and a pack of cigarettes, <laughs> hurling French insults at the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> so the first day of the battle. Uh, British forces clashed with the German First Army, as I just mentioned, and held them back, but were quickly outflanked and turned around. On that next day, the 24th of August, the British were forced to retreat under heavy fire. Now, during the retreat, a supernatural event occurred known as the Angels of the Mons. Now, this event is said to be a line of angelic bowmen who put themselves between the two armies, covering the British retreat and firing into the German lines. This was later used uh, as a big part of propaganda in Britain as the Allied forces were starting to like get some heavy losses over in the mainland. So they're basically, you said bowmen? Like yes. archers? Angel archers? Yes. They, uh, they're like, an arm, like a specter army of... Basically, they looked like angels, apparently, and they had bows firing arrows into the German soldiers. Okay, well, I mean, it's. Well, I'm not sure why the angels would choose to battle against the Germans, but uh, when you're yeah. telling me the story, all, there's two movies I can't quit thinking about. <laughs> Number one, Lord of the Rings, okay, where they summon like the ghost army or whatever. Yeah. And number two, <laughs> Angels in the Outfield. Do you remember that movie? Of course I remember that movie. <laughs> oh, Great <God>. documentary. <laughs> uh, it has 
Uh, who'd have Christopher Lloyd in it, right? Yeah, and I think he was the only like famous person in that movie. Uh, I think Danny Glover was in it. Was Danny Glover in that movie? I'm pretty sure he was, if you want to consider Oh, he him. was the coach. Yeah, he is the coach. Yeah. Fucking angels, man. They're always interfering. But uh, it's weird. I wonder why they would choose bows. What a yeah, weird so, weapon. Yeah, well, you got to think that's kind of how they were like seen. They were like this heavenly force. Hmm. I figured they'd um, use like so, trumpets or something. Trumpets, like the word of God. Like, <laughs> yeah. down all the Germans. <laughs> They're handing out pamphlets. So the funny thing about that whole story is, uh, it turned out it was probably all complete bullshit. <laughs> Welsh author Arthur Machen, uh, in September 29th, 1914, wrote a short story for the Evening News, which was a London newspaper. And in that short story, he uh, relayed accounts that he had gotten from a soldier returning from the Battle of the Mons. Uh, now, this story inspired him to write uh, the short story for the newspaper. Now, Machen described how a soldier during the Battle of the Mons had prayed to St. George for a bowman from the Battle of Agincourt, which was a battle that occurred about 500 or so years before World War I. Now, he prayed for Bowman to destroy the German enemy. So the problem was that Machen never in the article stated that the story was a work of complete fiction. On top of that fact, uh, he wrote the story in first person as if he was retelling the story that he had heard from the front lines directly from that soldier. <laughs> Does this qualify as yellow journalism? Uh, kind of. <laughs> he, he intended it to be fiction. He intended it to be like something you would send into the New Yorker. That's I like, got you. you know, a so, story about current events. But yeah, maybe a little yellow journalism. If you, he may or may not have meant to uh, like gonzo journalism, like add his own shit in there. See, so. I, I, when I was hearing you say that, I thought maybe the part about the soldier praying to that saint was real. Obviously, an angel fucking forced and show up and obliterate the Germans. But I thought maybe the part where he prayed to an angel or a saint or whatever, that might've been real. Yeah. I imagine there were some soldiers praying to all sorts of gods and saints and whoever the hell could help them, you know, push back the Germans uh, for months afterwards. Machin was asked for evidence of the tale that he had written. Uh, but told requesters that he had no intent of creating a hoax and that he had fabricated the supernatural event entirely. So Machin was probably like, well, look, I sold the rights. We're going to make a film about it. And we're going to adapt it for film. And we're going to call Angels in the Outfield. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the Blair Witch Project. And uh, yeah, it totally happened. <laughs> I could see yeah. it. <laughs> so he later on, uh, what I gather from this is uh, the story took off in a way he never expected. And he later claimed that he told requesters of evidence that it never happened. Okay, uh, well, yeah, I mean... I feel like in times of desperation in the world, especially like after a war or during a war, people really want to latch on to like supernatural shit. So I could kind of see why people were believing that this happened. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, the reports coming back from the front were fucking awful. This yeah. was like, obviously, we know World War One was just terrible, terrible. War. Like, one day of battles was equaling like the losses of entire wars. And that was every day this was happening. So, yeah. See, I was going to say now this is a little bit different, but I swore I've heard like, say after world war two is over, people's mindset had changed so much. And that like, that's why there's a huge rise in like religious groups and cults and stuff like that. You know, and it, does that yeah. kind of make sense? Like the, all the death and loss in a big war changes people so much that they kind of latch on to like a, a religious figure of some kind. Yeah, especially I mean, it was really bad just for the people. It was bad enough for the people who were at home and like lived through the news of the war and like their loved ones not coming home. Imagine all of the veterans coming home who were like living with just the most god-awful fucking nightmare things that they remember like memories ptsd shell shock is what they called it back then but you can imagine yeah there was a big rise in all sorts of whatever 
crazy yeah. beliefs, I would say, but <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a good way to put it. Yeah. So, like I said, the story did grow. Uh, the problem is more and more witnesses came forward claiming to have seen the bowmen. Rumors that dead German soldiers were found to have arrows in them. Oh. Uh, so okay. it kind of a uh, little bit of telephone there. <laughs> Copycat, you know, storytellers. Well, I mean, people are probably like read it and they're like, oh, yeah, I remember these bowmen. You know, just kind of yeah. like, I might as well say I saw them too. I was there. I synced it. <laughs> Same thing with fucking rednecks and tornadoes. <laughs> <laughs> True that. So after someone came to him trying to write a book about the supernatural event and asking for evidence, he again tried to let everyone know that the story was bullshit, but was met with cries of treason as the story, uh, I previously mentioned how huge it was, was now being used to promote the thought that God was against the German scourge and on the side of the good British people. Ah, okay. Well, I kind of figured that was coming. Yeah, so the story basically got beyond him in such a way that kind of like the mindset of the state was in ownership of it now. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. So after the war, research was done studying the claims of the soldiers and found that None of the accounts were of men that were actually at the Mons, and the stories were just branched off of Machin's original fiction. <laughs> so really, they couldn't even find, like, people who made the claim weren't even, like, either they weren't even in mainland Europe at the time, or they just weren't at the Battle of the Mons. So I could just picture some dude, he's like, he literally has never even left London. He's like, yeah, man. I was in that war, and those fucking angels were just taking out the Germans like it was no one's business. Like, yeah, the, especially like, during World War One. <laughs> be like, Tom, you haven't even left your house in two weeks. How the hell were you at the Battle of Mons? <laughs> yeah, like I mentioned, Dan Carlin before he talked about people like being persecuted in London for not like if they were an able-bodied male of like fighting age, they would be like harassed by these like legion of women that would run around like making fun of dudes. Trying to get them to go sign up. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I mean, I could, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So uh, basically, whether people knew the story was true or not, it definitely did boost morale at home in a time, uh, 1915, 16, 17, when the British people were searching for something to cling to after the horrible losses from the war that really scarred the country for a long, long time. Right. So I'm going to ask you, I mean, we kind of know I did that digging. I kind of like let the cat out of the bag pretty quickly. <laughs> but uh, what do you think about I'm going to say this. Um, what do you think about how this proves that like conspiracy, even though people know it's probably bullshit, like they were clinging to it like faith. Like, what do you think about like something like that? Um. Well, I mean, I don't know about it in regards to conspiracy, but it just like we were kind of talking about, it makes perfect sense that in desperate times, people want to latch on to, like, spirituality, I guess. I I don't know if that's the right word for it, but it's like, if you're thinking on a grand scheme of things, like, it's probably hard to believe that the death tolls could be so high. You know what I mean? Like, that's almost unimaginable. So how could it be any less unimaginable that a legion of angels weren't shooting at the Germans, I guess? You, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. I guess, yeah, conspiracy is not quite the right word for it. It's almost like a kind of like a state like mindset almost. Yeah. Like a like a mass hysteria incident, you know. But yeah, actually, that's a perfect thing. Uh, perfect uh, way to describe it. I think it's just when the world's in peril and I'm I can only assume a lot of people thought, hey, this might be the end. Because you don't, they didn't really know what, how it was going to end, you know what I mean? That's true. I kind of think that same way, too. Yeah, so, maybe, I don't know, if, <laughs> I hope there's never a World War Three. but if there ever is, maybe we'll hear stories about angels fighting whoever. Cor according to the churches, the angels will be fighting in that war. <laughs> <laughs> the, the big one. <laughs> So author, I'm going to go on to my next subject here. Okay. Uh, author James Wentworth Day wrote the 1954 book, Here Are Ghosts and Witches. Now in the book, Day claims that in 1918 at 
Bilal Flanders, he and fellow witness Corporal Jock Barr had seen a cavalry battle on top of a hill between French and German soldiers. Now, the strange thing about the witness account is that the soldiers fighting in the hilltop uh, weren't actually there. Uh, it was a battle between specters. Now, they didn't make any noise and only appeared to be reenacting the battle, not actually trying to fight each other. So kind of like one of those southern redneck uh, <laughs> confederacy wars. The uh, So did did he describe them as like, were they translucent? Is that how he knew their spirits? Or like, did they just, because they weren't making any noise, he assumed their spirits? Or like, how how does he know their spirits? Yeah, he in uh, what I read, he claimed that they were ghostly figures. Okay. And, like ghostly specters. You know what's funny and kind of ironic about this is that um, obviously Gettysburg and around that area is, if you're deep into paranormal, that's like a big paranormal hotspot essentially because of the sheer amount of death that happened there. Now, yeah. there's I've seen one video that is is very strange where it's like literally like a platoon of soldiers marching but there's like it's the middle of the night and like nobody should be there but they have like civil war attire and they're like marching in a straight line it's very weird so the first thing i was thinking about when he said this was like some it's kind of hard to explain but like if people believe in ghosts is basically like it could be flashes of past events you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they always talk about how really those big, like, death events kind of open up like a rip between the real world and the supernatural world. Yeah. Uh, I've heard that about, like, the Gettysburg, and uh, I think Antina maybe, too, has it. So, I mean, with the insane amount of death in World War One, obviously, I mean, may something like this, that's the first thing that comes to my mind, like, it's a battle that's replaying with everybody who's died in it or whatever. Yeah, definitely. That is also kind of, I think that's kind of the gist of it a little bit. I mean, we know, obviously, there's stories about like a lot of battlefields that this happens on or seeing dying people, like walking into a place that you might not even know there's a battle, hearing the whales or ghosts and whatnot. There's a lot yeah. of those stories out there. Have you ever been to Gettysburg around those areas? Uh, no, I haven't. I would really like to some of those places. I know. It sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, there's this one battlefield I'd like to visit. It's called Shiloh. Uh, it was like a really big turning point in the war. It's kind of like they have a national kind of like set up there, but it'd be kind of cool to see. Cool. Yeah. So Day claims that they asked the locals about uh, the experience that they had just had. And the locals claimed that they had seen the battling ghosts before and that they reappear every year at about the same time. Now, they claimed that the spectral forces would come out, do battle, and then disappear. Huh. I mean, it fits the kind of the MO with the replaying memory of the battle or whatever. Yeah. So apparently, I mean, just the locals. It's weird how kind of cavalier they the writer kind of makes it sound like, oh, yeah, we see that. It just happens in whatever month, you know. I feel like if it was if it happened around about or around the same time every single year, that like people would be sitting there trying to just see if it'll happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean if if they have it like if it happens every year in the same kind of like time frame, you would think that they would want to see that. I mean, honestly, it could be their brothers and like fathers and you know cousins dying on that hill though too. True. So yeah, that's maybe a they good don't point. So what is like they knew for certain it was German soldiers, you said, and French soldiers fighting each other? Yeah, well, by the the dress and the weaponry okay. that they had. It was a World War One battle. Now, this was only uh, 1918. So this was right at the end of the war that they had seen this. Okay. I, I, do they have any, did you know if they have any like historical records of a particular battle that happened on this hill or whatever uh i only got the location i didn't actually like dig deep into like what battle it might be but i mean world war one was really like fought like back and forth so i'm guessing that ground was fought over like a lot of times yeah so, yeah that's a good point no uh now i should say little disclaimer at the end once again uh james wentworth day is said to have had a love for old folklore and was known to be a little bit of a exaggerator. 
So, <laughs> well, that's uh, that's not a good reputation to have, sir. No, yeah, maybe I should have mentioned that first. Nah, but. it's okay. It was fun to speculate. Yeah. It's fun to speculate. Yeah, I actually like this one because it's almost like because of the stories. Like, I do like to believe. I, I'm not a huge believer in ghosts, but it is fun to because I love history. It is fun to think that you could go see ghost armies fighting. So I do like that story. It's a good one. I feel like if you were to have one paranormal experience in your whole life, uh, seeing a fucking ghost army battling each other would be so metal. Oh, yeah, that'd be sweet. You just like, sit there. I would want to have the sound, though. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. I was going to say, you just, like, you see them starting to, f- like, they're going to start fucking fighting. You just turn on, like, some death metal and just just watch them go to town. <laughs> that would be horrible if you, like, were walking on the battlefield and you just saw, like, a field surgeon, like, sawing someone's leg off. <laughs> that'd be uh, that'd be a pretty shitty fucking thing to see, though. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. true. Now, in another story, two men uh, who were dying on the battlefield say they saw a ghostly woman dressed in a blue skirt uh, with a bonnet on her head walking right in front of their line of fire. Uh, Now, the men didn't know if they were going crazy or not until another soldier also claimed to have seen her and said that it was the ghost of his mother. Wow, that's eerie. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So just then, the man was supposedly blown to bits by the shrapnel. Now, before getting blown up, the soldier claimed that it was his deceased mother and that she had come for him. Like she knew he was about to be blown to bits and was going to like guide him into an afterlife or whatever the hell happens when you die. Yeah. Yeah. So this kind of almost like, I don't know if you would count this as like, because this was a, I mean, these two dudes were dying and they might have, one of them just might have been hallucinating this or not, but this is a pretty crazy thing to see a ghost walking right in front of your line of fire. And then one of the dudes is like, holy shit, that's my mom, you know? That Okay, so now here's where I'm kind of seeing like maybe a little problem with the story. So number one, these two guys are dying, which would mean one of them had to survive. Yeah. And then it's like... That guy who got blown to smithereens is just like, hey, is that my mom? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, are you going to turn over to, like, your friends who are shot on the ground? Like, hey, is that my mom? <laughs> like, I, I, I know, know you guys. I know you guys are bleeding out right now. Do you see her? <laughs> <laughs> it's my fucking mom, dude. <laughs> she must have been here to drop off my fucking high C juice packs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet. She brought her pre sons for the whole platoon. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> All right, Thanks, John- Ma. <laughs> All right, Johnson, I'm afraid you get the one that has the missing straw, but you're going to figure out how to drink it anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I have uh, quite a few of these stories of uh, ghostly relatives coming onto the battlefield. All right. Uh, so the, the next two stories were compiled by Tim Cook uh, into his book. Now, the first story of ghosts appearing to help soldiers in a battle is that of a Canadian soldier named Will Bird being woken up while sleeping in the dirt of his trench at the location of the 1917 Battle of Vimy Ridge in France uh, in the year 1917. Now, he was woken up by the ghost of his brother, who led him out of the trench and into some ruins. Uh, He basically went into these ruins and the ghost of his brother just disappeared and he was too tired to walk back. So he claims that he fell asleep in these ruins. Okay. Now did that like end up saving his life or something? Yeah. So when Corporal Bird woke up, uh, he actually attempted to make his way back to his trench. When he got there, he had found that it had been hit by an artillery shell and that basically the location that he was sleeping took a direct hit. Okay, so this is like a good spirit visit, kind of. Like it's taking him to safety. So that's that's pretty rad. Yeah, so his family member wasn't like welcoming him into the afterlife. It was actually like getting him, tearing his ticket up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, uh, that's the way I would have preferred it if I was in his situation. Yeah, definitely. So the second story from Cook of Ghost from World War I Battlefields is that of another soldier who had seen his mother. 
Uh, though this time, the Spectre did not welcome the man into the afterlife, but instead coaxing him towards her away from uh, his position, only to have an artillery shell land right where he had just been standing, uh, which really would have blown him apart, obviously. Okay, so this is, uh, did it say, did you say what family member it was, or it was just a family member? Oh, uh, his mother again. Oh, his this, mother this, again. Okay. This was another mother story. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, I mean, once again, I wonder how many of these types of stories happened. I mean, you know, there is fucking a ridiculous amount of deaths, but from the people who survived, I wonder if this is like, this happened quite a bit. Yeah, while I was writing this, I was kind of looking at all three of these stories and realized they all involved like very close family members and artillery shells in all three of them. So I'm kind of a little spe- like skeptical about possibly copycat storytelling oh, here. Oh, okay. A little bit. Because, I mean, artillery shells, obviously, yeah. are really a, a big killer. But there was also just randomly getting, you know, machine gun fire down, German soldiers coming into your trench or your foxhole and dabbing you to death. Like, there was also that too, so... It's kind of weird that they were all artillery shells. I mean, I I could see it. Maybe they just like, maybe they just so happen to move right when a shell hit or something. And like, and then they're like, oh well, I'll just make it a little bit more fantastical by saying a family member led me away from it. But uh, yeah, when they got back to the pubs of England and were trying <laughs> to uh, escort a nice lady home, maybe <laughs> maybe about. Eight or nine fucking uh, beers in. It just started getting a little more fantastic. <laughs> I mean, if if you believe in ghosts, I mean, I guess this would be about the perfect sighting, I guess, to have someone save your life. I feel like even outside of uh, warfare or whatever, you hear about ghost stories where a relative will visit them and, like, put them on the right track in life or tell them to do something or, you know what I mean? Yeah, you do. You do hear that a lot with people claiming to have dreams. A lot of times you hear like, oh, my grandmother appeared to me in a dream and yeah. uh, got me out of the building right before the, you know, carbon monoxide would have killed me or right before the fucker started on fire. So. Right. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, it happened. I mean, people claim it happens. I don't really know if it happens, but uh, it's, it's yeah. interesting nonetheless. Yeah, I had a uh, a person I know actually tell me a story like that, and apparently, um, his uh, dead great grandmother visited him in a dream and like told him to get out of the apartment he was living in. He lived in a house that had like a lot of different like apartment sections, and apparently, like he left, no one was else was in the building, and a carbon monoxide leak killed the neighbor's cat. So damn. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I just remember that story, but I mean, uh, so it's yeah. pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's a little, it's a little weird, but I mean, honestly, who knows? You know? Yeah. I have no idea. I, I couldn't. I wouldn't call that person a liar, but <laughs> you know. So uh, basically, coming from this, we don't know if the stories were exaggerated, completely made up. Uh, what we do know is. That, like, the rigors of constant battle and PTSD caused by uh, near-miss artillery fire, uh, back then it was known as shell shock, might have been possibly, like, the root of some of these experiences. Like, they could have been, like, stress-induced hallucinations. I might, you know, kind of just taking a little stab at it, but... Yeah. I mean, the you know, the brain's crazy, man. You can... <laughs> it can trick you into seeing a lot of shit. Yeah, definitely. So... What do you think about that? Like, how much How much would you give it that maybe some of them were true? Or it came from a true story, basically several branches down? I mean, I'm going to base my percentages off the grand subtotal of every single story like that I've heard. So I might give it maybe 10%. I think I give it 10%. Just because even in modern times, like, you hear about this shit all the time. You literally just told a story about a guy who it's happened to, or he claims it happened. Yeah, definitely. I would say 10% is pretty solid. Yeah. Um, I might go, I might go five, uh, but five is usually pretty high for me even, but <laughs> like, I, I believe there might be ghosts. So I'll give it, yeah, five to 10. Sounds good. 
Yeah, I'm I'm still trying to figure out if I actually believe ghosts exist or not. I'm I don't I'm like in that weird middle grounds where it's like if I believe in ghosts or not. Like obviously I've stated on <laughs> Bumblebutt demons and like weird shit like that I don't believe in, but ghosts or like remnants of people or whatever, I, I don't know. I'm kind of up in the air about it. Definitely. Yeah, our brains are very complicated and so yeah definitely so i'm gonna move on uh next have you ever heard of the flaming onions <laughs> uh don't they serve this at outback steakhouse yeah i was just gonna say <laughs> something about uh gordon ramsay in the back you know fucking <laughs> flaying up some flaming onions also <laughs> plotting to take over the world with barry satiro who's the uh, one where they like stack onions and then they Pour oil in the center of it and start it on fire. Oh, those are the little fucking hibachi grills. The hibachi grill. That's what it is. Okay. They do the little. Yeah, I had uh, one of the dudes doing it. It was in Rochester, Minnesota, and he pushed it along with his knife, and it would like leave little puffs of like steam coming out of it, and he'd go choo choo choo. It's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone got a good laugh out of it. He's a pretty cool guy. The last bit of supernatural uh, events during World War. One that I'm going to deal with is the possible UFO encounters that happened over the skies of the battlefields. Okay, fire away. Now known as flaming onions, pilots from both sides reported seeing glowing green orbs that would fly around and do aerial tricks and flips, sometimes even chasing down aircrafts and flying much faster than the human pilots uh, could possibly imagine, considering their old planes. Uh, but the orbs never actually attacked any of the pilots. So they're just kind of like fucking with them or just watching them, kind of. Yeah, just uh, just flying around, just watching the aircraft. I have heard of... They think it might be a lot of different things. It might be aliens watching like important events. It might be like future historians coming back and sending little probes. Maybe watch these aerial dogfights. There is basically like a lot of sightings, like important dates in history where people claim to have seen orbs. Okay. Now, uh, is it just kind of they were seeing these flaming onions just kind of like everywhere? Just like random sightings everywhere or is it isolated to a certain spot? Yeah, apparently they saw them like all over like the battlefields of well Europe, I'm guessing. But because if it was French and German pilots seeing them. Right. I don't know. That's that's a peculiar one because around this time, like really what else could it be? Like, you know, World War Two you can kinda of be like, okay, they had a lot of experimental aircrafts and stuff. It's like World War One, it was pretty limited. Yeah, it was basically uh, both sides were flying biplanes and like the most sophisticated thing was I think they had the the airplane that the gun could shoot like through the the propeller blades without blowing the uh, the blades off. Like that was the most advanced thing of the time. So <laughs> that still Not sounds quite scary. green orbs. That still sounds scary. How the hell do they know it's yeah. going to get through the propellers? Oh, uh, this is a little stupid history, but it was, uh, there was a little kill switch that the propeller would had a little notch on it that would stop the, the firing pin from firing whenever the propeller was about to be in front of the, um, gun barrel. Oh, I see. Okay. So every time the propeller would be in front of it, there'd be a little delay. So it could, the bullet could go through without hitting the blades. Okay. That makes sense then. Yeah. So, I mean, they're pretty interesting uh, just to hear about, considering both sides reported them, and it was, like, multiple witnesses. It wasn't just one guy or, you know, one side claiming that they had seen it. Yeah, it was quite a quite a bit of them. So they're basically just a glowing green ball, more or less. Yeah, and from what I've heard about World War II air battles, these were also seen, like, during the World War II fights. So yeah, the Foo Fighters, the Foo Fighters, yeah, yeah. and not just the band. <laughs> no, the band was there too, of course, part of an Illuminati <laughs> plot. But <laughs> fucking Dave Grohl, <laughs> they were flying around with Barry Satiro. I know it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So uh, finally, I'm gonna go into my biggest one, which I saved for last. 
Now, this was told by pilot Peter Wetzrick, and I definitely butchered that German last name. Uh, and that is of Manfred Elbrick Freyer von Richtofen. Now, do you know who that is? Uh, I have no idea, but that is a mouthful. It definitely is. He is also known as the dreaded Red Baron, ah. the World War One era German ace. Okay, all right. He makes a mediocre pizza. Definitely, uh, yeah, somewhere in between Jacks and Tombstone, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. <laughs> so in the spring of 1917... He and the Red Baron, that would be uh, Peter Wetzrek and the Red Baron, were flying over the trenches of Belgium when the Red Baron supposedly spotted what looked like, and I quote, an upside down silver saucer with orange lights hovering in the clear blue skies. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so after a moment of fear, Wetzrek recalls that the Red Baron turned and fired upon the craft and shot it out of the sky. Now, when uh, he shot it out of the sky, it fell to the ground, shearing off tree limbs as it crashed into the woods. Okay, so now I just want to uh, double check you. You said the UFO was flying upside down when they when they spotted it. Oh no! So it looked like a silver saucer upside down. Upside down. Okay. 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 With orange lights. Yeah. I thought so he, he was just describing what he saw. Okay, I thought you meant it was. It looked like a saucer. Flying upside down. I'm like, what the fuck is it doing? Like a drunk alien in there. Yeah, this is a little weird because obviously the name Flying Saucer didn't come around until about 30 to 40 years later. And uh, you're going to hear when he recalled this story. So the two pilots flew over the crash site of the advanced um, craft and claimed that they saw two humanoids uh, scurrying off into the woods after they left the wreckage, and they were never seen from again. Hmm. But it was, they didn't have, like, weird colored skin or anything. They just are human-looking. Yeah, uh, it, it claimed two humanoids. And I also couldn't find anything about wreckage. Okay. I mean, are we giving a little more credence because this guy's kind of famous? Um, I'm about to tear it down a little bit. Okay. So. <laughs> All right. There's a little disclaimer on this one, too. So Peter Watzrek didn't come forward with his recollection until a little more than 80 years after the 1917 event in 1999. In 1999? Yeah. So it was uh, he uh, he took a minute <laughs> to, you know, fucking uh, contemplate it, you know, put it in his mind. He actually told his story to a very uh, outlet. Have you ever heard of the Weekly World News? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah, that's a great bit of uh, journalism. <laughs> the queen is a lizard, in fact, and uh, she is pregnant currently. Okay, yep. I, is that the one where it's like they always know that who killed Diana or have so, the Bat Boy or something like that? Oh, yeah. It's the ones uh, they keep them right next to candy in the, ah. uh, the register. Yeah, those ones. That's the ones I'm you know what about. we should I should start buying one and just reading an article out of there every time we we record. Oh, dude, we can make that a segment. That'd there be you go. <laughs> nice idea. So uh, other than that, he also kind of had a misremembering of the type of airplane that the two men would have used. Now, he told the publication that they were flying the very famous German triplanes. Have you ever seen what those look like with the three um, wings stacked? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So the German Air Force didn't actually introduce those until later on that year. So he and the Red Baron could not have been flying those airplanes. Okay. Oh, that yeah, that hurts their credibility. Yeah, this also could be, of course, because of the age that the teller was and how long it had been since he was flying, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I didn't see anything that mentioned like that he wasn't actually a pilot. So apparently he was a pilot, but that's just me. If I, you know, I might have just been unable to find that part of it. But mm. so he did get a few things wrong and he might have went to the media so <laughs> or the right one depending on who you ask that's true the real <laughs> news like in men in black great documentary by the way 
Yeah, so that actually ends uh, my, all of my Supernatural 1 stories. Uh, what did you think? What's your favorite one? How much cre- Oh, I should say, how much credence do you give to the Red Baron shooting down a UFO? I on mean, top of the 80 uh, allied planes that he got. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know. It's It's an interesting story, and obviously... With this guy's reputation, it makes sense that he just immediately start firing on it. But I feel like primitive planes from way back then probably wouldn't be able to shoot down a UFO. I could be completely wrong. But uh, I don't know. It's The humanoid thing makes me wonder if it wasn't like some sort of experimental something they had up there. And they shot it down, you know what I mean? But... Oh, I was going to say, it definitely could have been like the airships that we were talking about uh episode a long time ago. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You remember yeah. those? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I, uh, they were just like they, chilling there, having a good time, and they get shot down by the Red Baron. <laughs> it was just a like a blimp full of rich people, like observing the battlefield over Belgium, and then all of a sudden the Red Baron just aces them. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean... It's hard to say. It was so fucking long ago. Like, who's to say he didn't see something? Especially since, like you said, aliens seem to like like to pop up in large, important historical events like a war. So, I don't know. I, w- I would probably give it maybe 2% that it's real. But uh, it's, a, it's an intriguing story, nonetheless. Yeah, I also do love the fact of the story that, like, the Red Baron hesitated for a moment and then just turned and fired. Like <laughs> that's such a like knowing everything I know about like Red Baron, it's just like another little layer. But I mean, it's it's probably not true. I'll also I'll give it one percent just because I can't give it zero. Yeah. Um, I do imagine that the pilot of the craft was probably if he is a pilot, maybe he was making himself a nice mixed drink and <laughs> you know hitting on one of the stewardess. Well, maybe here- he wasn't being very diligent about flying the uh, <laughs> the ship at the time. <laughs> Well, here's the other thing I was thinking about this is like he waited so long till flying saucers have, had became like a very well-known thing uh, throughout the world. So he, he could just like positively identify what essentially we think of UFOs today, really. You know what I mean? Yeah, he waited for so many like how many waves of like UFO like in popular culture. I mean, 1999, it was obviously they had been through, he had been through the forties. He had been through all of these like times of like UFOs and like the resurgence and in the nineties. And then all of a sudden he's just like, Oh yeah. You know, I remember this time that uh, a <laughs> UFO, you know, my buddy, the red Baron, the most famous person in world war one shot down a fucking, you know, UFO. Yeah. It is true. Yeah. It's a little, little too convenient, but, uh, um, yeah. so I'm going to say, I want to hear what's your favorite one of these stories. Ooh, um, it's gotta be the red Baron. I mean, obviously I picked it last because he's got the, you know, the name value, but, uh, any story with the, uh, those old fucking, uh, biplane pilots in it, it's pretty cool. Especially the red Baron. Right. Uh, I was going to say, I've been sitting here kind of like thinking about, it. I'm like, man, I, I really like that first one, the cloud one, but mm. obviously that one's probably the like le- well, no, the angel one's probably the least believable one, but that yeah. one, I don't know, it's it's pretty cool. It's very mysterious kind of. I I, I really like that one. But uh Yeah, it's it's definitely the most mysterious, but also kind of the most easily explained. But Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. I mean, it's just a lot of people who went missing, so but uh, Phil, if they want to, if our friends want to tell us which one of these stories they enjoyed the most, where can they do that? Well, you can hit us up on our email, uh, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we love hearing from our fans. Uh, easiest way to get a hold of us is on Instagram at Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. We both have our own uh, Instagram accounts. Mine is sdpodphil. Uh, you can get a hold of me there and comment on the two posts that I've put up in the past three months. Cody, you got a couple? Uh, yeah, you can follow my personal Instagram at Cody Sabub. Uh, you can look up my other podcast, 
Bumblebub Podcast. You can find them uh, on basically any podcast application, and you can also find them on Instagram as well. Uh, just give us a follow. Uh, last thing we need you to do is to log on to iTunes and leave this show a five-star review, preferably with a little uh, polite note written in there because those are the most valuable. I know we've been getting quite a few now, so uh, thank you, all of you who've taken the time out of your day to do that for us. If you haven't, please do that. Uh, final notes here, Phil. Uh, I think you did a fantastic job. Obviously, most of these I've literally never heard of, and I think it's very thought-provoking, to say the least, so uh, good job. Thank you. Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun in looking these up, so. Yeah, you, uh, you, you're a history buff, so this is a mixture of History and paranormal, which I'm sure you both love. Yeah, we even fit UFOs into it, too. So Perfect. So it's a trifecta. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and we will see you next week. Thanks, guys.